Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up, sports fans? My name is Jake Anzuski. You can call me Jake Iggy or Iggy for short. And this is Iggy's Sports Talk. So it's another week in the books of jam-packed sports. And like I said last week, by the way, I hope you guys did really enjoy the radio show last week. It was my first time really recording a long-length podcast, radio show, whatever you want to call this, in about a month. So I apologize if I was a little bit rusty just to start off, but now that I got a radio show under my belt, now I'm back in the swing of things. So it's going to be very interesting to see how these different leagues continue to all pan out. You know, we got the NBA going on, we got the MLB going on, we got the NFL, and the NHL is now in the Stanley Cup Finals. So for myself, I am mainly a diehard baseball fan. And it's something where when the NFL is going on, the NBA is going on, the NHL is going on, it seems like every single day, it's tough to be able to keep track of everything that is going on. And it's funny because I have people asking me about different things that's going on in the MLB. And then I have people asking me different things that's going on in the NFL. And, you know, I'm so used to just these two different leagues being in two different parts of the year. You know, baseball is usually from March until October. And then the NFL is from September until February. And most of the time, I'm focusing only on baseball and only on football And then, you know, there's some NBA and some NHL scattered in there. But when you really just look at the landscape of how sports is right now, it can't get any more exciting than this. I mean, especially when, you know, two out of the four leagues going on right now are in the playoffs. The MLB is starting the playoffs just next week, and they're going to be expanded. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in this show today. But I just wanted to touch on that on how crazy it is to have all these sports going on just at one time and how exciting it is to be a sports fan, and especially for someone like myself reporting on sports. It's a very fun time to be alive. So my plan for today for Iggy Sports Talk Episode 2 is I'm going to start off and have my good friend Chris Brown on the show. He's very knowledgeable, not only about the NBA, but he's also a very big NFL fan. And unfortunately, his team lost Saquon Barkley just this past week. That's another thing that I'm going to be talking about during this show. Um, It's all the different injuries that went down in the NFL. You know, go over some of the exciting things that happened in week two. And then I'm just going to wrap up the show talking about the expanded playoffs in the MLB and sort of talking about how these playoffs could be much, much different and how it could potentially change the entire landscape of the of how the MLB playoffs will be played and how the outcome will actually be. So I'm going to bring on my friend Chris Brown right now. I'm going to add him to this live. And it's going to be really cool to see what he says about these different NBA games. So we've seen that the Heat and the Celtics have been going on same with the Lakers and Nuggets but now right now I have my good friend Chris Brown on how's it going Chris good how are you I'm doing good man so how have you enjoyed uh these NBA playoffs and especially it being in the bubble and you know most of the time when we look at these NBA games we're thinking about oh who's home who's away because that home field advantage is so important so how has it been watching these games when everybody's just playing in the same exact court 
Well, I think the NBA bubble really brings out a lot of the pure hoopers. A lot of the guys who are like natural bucket getters, like Devin Booker, Tyler Hero, all those guys, like even Anthony Davis, all those guys are really showing up. It's just unreal. It makes it like college basketball almost. It's a lot different. Yeah, true. I, I agree with that, especially like 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 you said with college basketball. Most of the time during March, they're all they're playing all in the same arena, and so that excitement really builds up, especially before the game. But I know you're a big Lakers fan, and you're also a big Jamal Murray fan. So how weird has it been, you know, with your favorite player in in the NBA coming out of um, Kentucky on one side, and then your favorite team, the Lakers, on the other end? It's crazy to see because I know he's going to do good every game. <clears throat> But him and Jokic will show up every game and go off, but it's just the rest of the team, I think, really needs to step up if they want to have a chance in the series. True. I mean, and like you just said, it the Lakers are up 2-0 and right now on the Nuggets. And yeah. I, I was just curious on what do you think the Nuggets need to do in Game 3 to be able to come back in this series? I think Michael Porter Jr. needs to take the next step first, maybe break 20, 25, just get a little edge on the fucking Lakers' D. Mm-hmm. Make him walk in. Michael Porter puts up that 25. Jokic has his 30. Jamal has his 30. I don't know. Maybe a couple more guys chip in too. Like Plumley. anyone steps up. Well, so our good friend in the comments just put Lakers in four. So I, w- I was curious on, of Kevin, Kevin Fahm just said Lakers in four. How do you, how do you feel about that? They're most likely going to win in four. Unless someone so. on the Nuggets can step up like crazy. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I can agree with that. I mean, especially with... With the Lakers having Kobe on their back, looking down upon them, I, I think it's I think it's going to be tough for the Nuggets to be able to come back. Um, but you know, like the biggest factor for the Lakers is too right now. What? Rajon Rondo. Why is that? He's holding their uh, second unit down. Makes sense. He's keeping them fucking together, running pick and rolls, distributing, getting everyone involved, threes, alley oops, everything. So in this series, who do you think has been the most surprising player um, that you didn't expect to really just like show up? Uh, well, I expect Rondo to show up every year in the playoffs. So, uh, <laughs> so fucking, honestly, Kentavious Caldwell Pope, he's been fucking hitting his threes and just, like, taking right shots, not being, like, as fucking stupid with the ball, really. Makes sense. Yeah. And so, like, what what do you think that, um, what did you think about, obviously, we saw Anthony Davis did that incredible last-second shot at the end of the game. Uh, how, do, how did you feel he's really stepped up into his role, especially now that he's LeBron's counterpart? I just think when AD's feeling his outside shot, he's literally unguardable. Because in the paint, he can work with any of the bigs down there. He'll score on anyone in the paint. And, but when his outside shot's going, it almost makes him like one of the most unguardable players, like Kevin Durant, just without the dribbling. He's literally like KD when his shot's on without the dribbling. That makes sense. So now I'm just going to go on to the series with the Heat and the Celtics. So it was kind of interesting to start off this series, how the Heat were, were just able to get so easily uh, up those two games. And I thought it was pretty crazy how after that second game, the Celtics locker room kind of blew up. You know, we heard reports that Marcus Smart got into an argument with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. How do you think that really played into them kind of dominating uh, in the last win that they got against the Heat? I just think it gave them more fire as a team and hold like to come out stronger. They if they went down three zero, the series basically over. No one's ever come back three for the Celtics last game. That makes sense. And so, like, like, like I said, with the uh, with the Lakers and Nuggets, who do you think has been the most surprising player, uh, at least in the Heat and Celtics series? Um, 
Boston or Miami? Uh, either one. For the Celtics, you got to go with Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. He's bringing the offense this series. No one expected, and his defense is always there. But I think his offense, if he keeps it up, like they could make this series a fucking fight. I really, I really think so too. I mean, you've seen Marcus Smart just playing his butt off. It seems like every single second of every single game. Uh, but I wanted to get onto, uh, especially with the Celtics being down two to one. What do you think is the probability yeah, of them being able to come back? You know, the, you know the brothers ref is uh, refing tomorrow. Who is the guy who's zero and eight the last Celtics games when they ref? Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's so interesting. Are going to be fucked tomorrow night because the brothers isn't on the Celtic side, and I think the Heat are going to be shooting on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean it, it's going to be kind of tough for the Celtics. Well, to sp- if, well, if crowd, I mean if Crowder plays the way he is and smart, I think it'll be a close game for both sides. True. I mean, it's it's something where when you look at like even when Hayward just came back, he wasn't really able to do anything. I mean, his Tony brothers is a lock, bro. The Celtics are literally zero and nine with their last games with them roughing in the postseason. So what do you think the probability is for the, for the Celtics to be able to come back? Obviously, as you're saying, they're probably going to go down 3-1 after this next game. So if that happens, do you think that do you think that the Heat have it down on lock? Yeah, I think the Celtics have like a 20, 25% chance to come back and win, though. There's still a good chance. That makes sense. And so, like, all in all, Whoever makes it into the finals, obviously we don't know right now, but who is your pick for the NBA finals? Lakers versus Heat. Lakers in five. Makes sense. And who do you think is going to be the MVP? Uh, LeBron James, but Anthony Davis is going to go fucking off. That makes sense. All right, perfect, Chris. I really appreciate you coming on and giving your insight about the NBA playoffs. Um, I'm definitely going to have you on very soon to talk about these these other games that are going on, and I appreciate you coming on, man. Absolutely, I'll have you on for that, too. Have a good one, man. Good shit. See you soon, bro. See you soon. So I hope everybody enjoyed Chris's insight on the NBA playoffs. You know, it's something where I do my best to be as knowledgeable about every single sport but when you when all these things are going on especially like i talked about at the start of the show with all these sports going on it's very difficult to keep up with absolutely everything that is going on each and every single game so i i I, that's one of the biggest reasons why i did want to have chris on and really give us some insight and some insider insight on his opinion, and especially from somebody coming from a Lakers perspective. Uh, I, w- I wanted to hear his thoughts on especially that shot from Anthony Davis because that was unreal. So I wanted to go now into what happened into week two of the NFL. So as we saw, just to start off these one o'clock games, the injuries were piling up. I mean, it's, I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, it was very interesting to see how these different NFL analysts really reacted to all these injuries really going down. And most of them said exactly sort of what I said of, you know, I've been watching football for these many years and I've never seen anything like this. And we saw top players like Saquon Barkley, Drew Locke, Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, and a guy, another guy like Christian McCaffrey just go down. And when you really look at it, this is really going to hinder what the competitiveness that we're going to be able to see in the NFL throughout this season, I believe. Because this isn't just a one-time thing. You know, this isn't going to be the only week where we see, 
you know, five to ten injuries just in one week, especially with the lack of preparation that these players really had before the start of this NFL 2020 season. I just really don't see this being... I, I, I really see this being a huge issue for teams throughout the rest of the season. And it's really going to come down to who is the best depth. You know, the, the backups behind them are really going to be very important for each team being able to overcome these kinds of injuries. I mean, we even saw it with the Giants this past week. When they lost to Quan Barkley, the first thing that they did is just sign Devontae Freeman. And the same thing with Drew Locke. The, the Broncos just signed Blake Bortles. So these teams really need to start planning for the future. And I'm not talking about 2021. I'm talking about week three, week four, week five. They need to have a concrete plan of what are we going to do if this guy goes down? Because we usually see it throughout the season. You know, it's usually spread out. It's not just smack dab in one week. You know, we usually see quarterbacks get ACL injuries. We usually see, obviously we see guys get injured left and right, but it's never happened just in one week. And in my opinion, it's mainly just due to, like I said, lack of proper preparation for the 2020 season and just having no facilities open because of COVID. I think that is one of the biggest issues is that these players were locked up in their house and weren't even really able to work out either unless they had a workout uh, workout area in their own house. But when you really look at how this could hurt the competitiveness of these different teams and just the expectations that we put on these different teams at the start of the season, I think that it's going to be really detrimental to what we see uh, throughout this next season. But I want to touch on one of the brightest points in this, in this past Sunday's games was Justin Herbert. I mean, wow. That kid showed up and was ready to sling the football. I mean, it's very interesting too because he was told just the day of the game that he was starting. And the last time in my knowledge that that has happened or that I've heard a circumstance like that is when Dwayne Haskins got thrown into the starting job because Case Keenum got injured. And what did Dwayne Haskins do? He threw three picks, he threw for 107 yards, and he looked awful. And especially after that game, I just remember all these analysts were thinking or or were making all these assumptions of how Dwayne Haskins' career was going to go just based on his first start. And I remember all all these analysts, all these coaches were saying, oh, he's a bust. Why did they pick him at number 12? And now we see Justin Herbert come out with barely any preparation when most quarterbacks get a full week to prepare to go against a team, and he goes against the defending and a, uh, Super Bowl champions and makes it a game and forces it to an OT. I mean, I, I was just so surprised on how efficient he was really able to throw the football. And when you just look at it as well, he threw over 300 yards, threw a touchdown, threw a pick, and obviously that pick is really just going to sort of change your perception on exactly how well Justin Herbert did do. But at the same time, when you look at the play that he threw the pick, he was just forcing the ball. He didn't have enough time, and you just really can't say or or really assess what Herbert was able to do in the game just based on one play, obviously. But 
I was so surprised. And I think everybody else in the sports world was as, as surprised as I was about how Justin Herbert was able to play. And also very surprised on the other side of the football on how the Chiefs were able to play. I mean, this is the defending Super Bowl champions with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, and from what everybody is saying, and I agree with it, it's just I, he's in his third year, so I don't know why we're already saying this stuff, but Patrick Mahomes, everybody thinks that he is the greatest quarterback that has ever set foot on the face of the earth, and he looks awful in the first half. He picked it up, obviously, in the second half, and that's one of the biggest reasons why the Chiefs were able to eventually win the game, but... When you look at what Patrick Mahomes did throwing the football, he completed 27 out of his 47 pass attempts, 302 yards, and threw two touchdowns. I mean, when you just look at those stats from just plain view without watching the game fully, you're like, wow, yeah, that's, that's a really solid game. But it was funny to hear, too. You know, I heard Max Kellerman say, I think this was the worst game we've ever seen Patrick Mahomes play. In my opinion, that's some pretty good stats. But it just it just wasn't what most people are used to seeing Patrick Mahomes do. But what a great game, this Chargers and Chiefs game. And it just is one of the biggest reasons why I just love watching sports because you never know what is really going to happen. I mean, everybody at the start of this game was pounding, was pounding the bets on the Chiefs and saying the Chiefs are winning. No way the Chargers are winning. Did you see what Tyrod did last week? And it was just so cool to be able to see a guy like Justin Herbert go out in his debut and just show off like nobody expected whatsoever. And you can also say the same exact thing about what Austin Eckler and another guy like Keen Allen was able to do for the, for, the, for the Chargers. I mean, they came up huge. They came up huge for Justin Herbert. I mean, when Herbert was, wasn't able to find guys around the field, who was open? either Keenan Allen or Hunter Henry. I mean, when you have those kinds of weapons on your team, it's something where Herbert didn't have that when he was in Oregon. And Tua had everybody around him. And now I'm kind of getting into the whole Tua and Herbert debate, but it's because it's it, it always comes up. Anytime you are assessing Justin Herbert, you're always going to have Tua Tailoa in the back of your mind just because Tua got picked over him. And when you really just look at it, how many first-round picks did Herbert how many first-round pick wide receivers did Herbert have in this last draft? And how many did Tua have? Tua had two. So it just really shows you on who has the better talent. I mean, I'm not going to assess. I'm not going to make that pick distinctly on Herbert playing one game because we haven't even seen Tua Tagovailoa pick up a football or be under center and start starting in an NFL game. So I can't really make that uh, full evaluation right now. But at the same time, it just makes me so frustrated that people are st- still comparing these two guys. But another game that I wanted to go on to next uh, was Cam Newton losing to the Seattle Seahawks. So Newton looked unreal in this game. He was unreal. And it was so funny just to see all the tweets, you know, all the Instagram posts. Superman is back. I, f- I feel like this was the game where f- Cam Newton finally came back. And in my opinion, from what everybody was saying all this offseason about his arm, now he needs to zip their lips. Because from what I saw, Cam Newton was slinging that football. And when you put up 400 yards and you are able to complete the passes that he was able to complete, you can throw the football. And 
it just really just silences the people that said that he had any sort of shoulder issues. I understand he had two major arm injuries that were on his throwing arm, but that doesn't that doesn't that isn't an excuse for really undervaluing what Cam Newton was able to do before the Patriots picked him up and actually gave him a chance. Because you you got you can't forget Cam Newton had to wait eighty five days to be able to get picked up by a team. And obviously it was the New England Patriots and it's, and it's definitely, definitely a huge push for this Patriots team. I mean, when you really look at just the stats, Cam Newton was for 30 for 44, 307, 397 yards with a touchdown and an interception. And he only got sacked once. And you also look at the running side of it as well. He ran 11 times. And my biggest criticism of him last week was he ran too much. And that was mainly just because he threw the ball 19 times and he he rushed the ball 14 times. And I just didn't like the amount of times that he ran the ball compared to when he threw it. But, I mean, it's so lopsided this game when he, th- when he threw the ball 44 times and he ran the ball 11 times. And especially when he was running the ball this past game, he was very efficient. I mean, the only time when, it, when he didn't fool the defense with his runs was the last play. I mean, it was the most critical play, obviously, and it lost them the game where he should have just stepped back and either either thrown the ball or just gone right up the middle because, I mean, he just waited for the right tackles to go, and he, I, I think on that last play, Cam Newton kind of overthought it a little bit. But just all around, that Patriots offense really just came in into its own, and it really just silenced the haters that said the Patriots have no weapons. The Patriots have no weapons. Cam Newton has nobody about nobody around him. You know he's not going to succeed. Yeah, that's funny because this is the first game I've ever heard of the guy Demir Bird, and it's the first time I had never I had ever known that Demir Bird was formerly on the Carolina Panthers, and that is that makes so much sense because Cam Newton was throwing to him. It seemed like almost every time he felt like he got into trouble, and that's one of the biggest reasons why Bird was able to get six receptions with 72 yards and was really one of the biggest guys to be able to help the Patriots really get down that field and force force the drives to be lengthened. But another guy who came up huge, who a lot of people are really getting kind of nervous about his age, about his efficiency, and especially about from his lack of production last season uh, with Brady, was Julian Edelman. And in my opinion, one of the biggest reasons why Julian Edelman had a dip in efficiency and his stats weren't as good as what we're used to seeing last year was because Brady didn't have any weapons. He honestly didn't. He had Jacoby Myers, who was a rookie. He had Nikhil Harry, who was a rookie. He had Julian Edelman, who's a veteran. But at the same time, when Edelman is the only guy that Brady feels confident in throwing to, defenses are going to know that. Defenses are going to double cover him. And so that made... These other wide receivers, obviously a little bit more open, but these wide receivers are very inexperienced, not developed, and still very young. And so that is one of the biggest reasons why anytime Brady did throw to Edelman, it was very tough for him to do anything with it because he was either very covered, covered by the best guy on the team or he was double covered and wasn't able to make a play on the ball whatsoever. And so to see him get eight receptions with 179 yards, I think that is a huge plus for the Patriots and really gives them confidence that Edelman is sort of back and that it really gives them confidence as well that Cam, that this Cam Newton and Julian Edelman relationship just 
wide receiver and quarterback-wise, is going to be very dangerous throughout this season. But I wanted to also look at the other side of the football in the Seattle Seahawks. And Russell Wilson, this guy is looking like an early MVP candidate. I mean, wow. I mean, last week, last week, he was 21 for 25. This week, 21 for 28 with five touchdowns and one interception. I mean, you can't be throwing the ball any better than that. And then when you also look at what he was able to do on the rushing side as well, he averaged 7.8 yards in his five rushes, which was able to get him 39 yards. And it, was, it, it just was so difficult for the Patriots defense to be able to do anything to stop Russell Wilson and do anything to stop him from just rushing down the field. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how Russell Wilson continues the success on if he's going to be able to build off this game and continue, you know, throwing as efficient as he is right now. Because from what I'm looking at, I mean, I don't see a lot of quarterbacks throwing the ball 75, or excuse me, completing the ball 75 to 80% of the time. And when you're doing that, you're going to win almost every single football game that you're starting. And so... This game was really interesting. It was really exciting for me as a Patriots fan. Obviously, like I said before, I was really able to see Cam Newton really show himself fully, especially throwing the football. And even though they did lose, it it gave me a lot of confidence going into the rest of this season that the Patriots are going to be very competitive. And it's very interesting to say that as well because obviously they're usually always competitive. But now that there's all these roadblocks and all these things stacked against them everybody is doubting the patriots i mean when you just look at how many guys they had opt out 10 people 10 players 10 people 10 players opted out and the guys like dante hightower patrick chung i forget some of the other guys but at the same time 10 guys compared to some of the other teams that i think every every other team had two to three guys that opted out and the patriots were up at like nine or ten And then when you also just look at their schedule, ranked against everybody else in the NFL, the Patriots have the hardest schedule. So this is a huge win for them. Even though they did lose by five points, their offense was able to put up 30. The defense looked eh, relatively good, relatively good at at times. But it's, it's something where you just look at how they were able to kind of make this into a shootout. As a Patriots fan, that gives me confidence that this team is going to be a workhorse throughout most of the games that they have. And it doesn't matter if they're down 7 points, 14 points, or 21. They're going to fight their butts off to try and come back and win the football games. And that's kind of how it's been all the last 20 years. But obviously, just since one guy left and Tom Brady, I guess all the confidence of everybody in the NFL for the Patriots was just chucked out the window. But makes no sense to me. So another guy that I want to look at, or another game that I want to look at, was the Giants game. So we saw Saquon Barkley go down with an ACL tear. I want to talk about how this could really hurt the Giants in this upcoming in this upcoming season, especially on the expectations that were put on them at the start of the season, and now without their best offensive weapon in Saquon Barkley. It's going to be really tough for Daniel Jones and the Giants to be able to really be as efficient as they hope to at the start of this season. I mean, when you you just look at the stats from last year, Saquon Barkley played 13 games for the Giants, 
and he accounted for 18% of their total offense. And so you just see right there how important, how important Saquon Barkley really is to this Giants team. And with his loss, how it could severely hurt not only their running attack, but their offense in general. But luckily, there was a savior in Devontae Parker. So Devontae Parker just got signed, or excuse me, just signed with the Giants. And now he will be the starting running back for the New York Giants and really be able to help this offense stay consistent. And Freeman's a guy who is coming off of a 1,000-yard season. And just because he is just coming off a free agency doesn't mean he's a bad player. The reason Devontae Parker is still in free agency is because he didn't believe that he was getting the amount of money that he he really thinks he deserves. He thought he was being undervalued, so he kind of pulled the whole Le'Veon Bell approach and decided to hold out and wait till somebody gives him the money that exactly that he wants. So I don't know if the Giants really reached that number that he wanted, but at the same time, the Giants had a need. Devontae Parker saw an opportunity where he'd be able to use leverage of the amount of money that he wanted, and he was able to, to at least get some number close to the, that he wanted um, in his price range. And so now, luckily, Daniel Jones has somebody who is very reliable behind him. Now, obviously not as reliable as Saquon Barkley, but Freeman's still a good above-average running back. And right when I saw this happen, I was like, oh, geez. Giant season's over. I mean, the only reason I just make that quick assumption is because now that the running attack is kind of dead, or at least it was before they signed Freeman, all I thought about was Jones is just going to have to throw the football all the time. And when that happens, defenses are able to evaluate how, what, what weapons he is more keen to, how he throws the ball, you know, what reads he makes, and once he throws the ball more and shows the defenses more of what he's capable of and, and really allows them to study, study him even more, then they're going to know exactly what is going on. And so that is just going to stir up trouble for this Giants offense. And, you know, it's going to cause a lot more pressure for Daniel Jones. You know, the, it's also going to force him to have some very erratic throws and which could cause tons of turnovers, which we all know Daniel Jones is very good at. So thank God the Giants used their brain and got Devontae Freeman, but it's really crazy how all these injuries are really stacking up and are really going to hurt these teams and the competitiveness in general of just the whole NFL. And that's something that I touched on at the start of the show, and I I, even just thinking about it now, it's something that I still can't believe. So another injury that went down that could really hurt a team like the Broncos is Drew Locke went down with a with an injury on his throwing arm. And the first thing I think of when I think of that is it's going to take a little bit for him to come back. And who knows how Drew Locke is going to look when he does come back. I mean, he was one of the guys with one of the strongest arms coming out of this last draft, or two drafts ago, excuse me. And now we're seeing he has a major injury on his throwing arm and it's you know it's going to be really tough for him to be able to get that get back to getting comfortable of how he was at the start of the season. So even though when he does come back, 
everybody's going to be super excited because their starting quarterback is back and, you know, the Broncos can go back to winning. But everybody's just going to gotta have an open mind when Drew Locke comes back because he's not going to come back the same exact Drew Locke that he was at the start of the season. He's going to come back a little bit, a little bit inefficient. You know, he might be a little bit erratic with the football because he's, he's not going to be as comfortable in the pocket because he's going to be out for multiple weeks. And usually when it says multiple, who knows, that can, that can mean three to six weeks. I mean, I mean you, ju- you just don't know. So now the Broncos have a guy like Jeff Driscoll under center for them. When you look at what he was able to do for the Lions last season, he completed 59% of his passes, threw for four touchdowns and four interceptions in just three games. Now, I mean, obviously he's not going to be a Pro Bowl. I mean, obviously that's the biggest reasons why why Driscoll has never been a starting quarterback in the NFL because of that inefficiency. But at the same time, something's better than nothing. And I, I honestly don't see the Broncos being able to overcome, you know, this hurdle of of having an efficient quarterback. And maybe depending on how many weeks Drew Locke is, we could see this really hurt the Broncos' chances to even make the playoffs just because, you know, the more the more that Driscoll plays, I think the more that the Broncos are going to lose. So it's really going to be interesting to see how, how the Broncos are going to be able to improve their 7-9 and nine record of last season, especially now that they don't have Von Miller. It's really not looking good for them. And one other person that they just lost is Sutton. So... It's really going to be interesting to see how this Broncos team really performs down the line, especially with how many injuries that they do have piling up. And one other point that I wanted to say, Drew Locke and Judy were, were getting a pretty good marriage. Even, even though it was, it was like one and a half game, it, it was going to be a great start to to a really good relation, quarterback and wide receiver relationship with Drew Locke and Jerry Judy. It's unfortunate that since Drew Locke is now injured, it's going to hinder, you know, uh, Judy's development a little bit more now that he doesn't have his starting quarterback and at least a efficient quarterback throwing to him on a consistent basis. So now I want to get on to another game, which I found was very interesting. And even though I'm, I'm, in this topic, I'm mainly just focusing on one team. I, I just find it very interesting of how well the Jacksonville Jaguars are doing, especially Gardner Minshew. I talked about it a little bit last week, but Gardner Minshew is really, really surprising me. I mean, I'm not saying by any means he was not good last season, but when you look at what Minshew was able to do last season compared to this season, there's a massive a massive difference, good difference. But when you, so each game last season, it seemed like he would throw at least one interception, throw one to two touchdowns, and he would only be able to get like 200 to 250 yards. It wasn't anything spectacular. But now that you're seeing him throw the ball a little bit more, he's completing it much more, and he's racking up a pretty good amount of yardage. I mean, when you look at, just his stat line in this last game, it's very impressive other than those two turnovers. So he was 30 for 45 with 339 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions, and he did get sacked twice. But when you just look at as well what he was able to do the week before, nineteen he was able to throw the ball 19 for 20. And so he has been very accurate in his throws and his reads, and 
It's very interesting as well because it seems like he's been getting the ball off very fast. And that is one of the biggest reasons, I think, why he has been completing the ball so well. Just because he doesn't have the issue of, of the pass rushers getting into his face and making him all uncomfortable and the pressure really hurting his his ability to be able to throw the ball accurately. But now this just brings up the biggest question of what will the Jaguars do once the draft comes around? And I'm going to evaluate this topic much, much more obviously once Minshew plays 14 more games and we see exactly how he's able to perform and we see also sort of what transpires as well with Trevor Lawrence's senior year. Because who knows? Even though Trevor Lawrence is it's considered right now one of the greatest prospects, quarterback prospects anybody has ever seen. Who knows? COVID could have could have completely changed his preparation for his senior season. Maybe his stock could go down during this next college football season. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not predicting that's gonna happen, but it's definitely a possibility. But something where when you look at what the Jaguars have been able to do since they became a team in nineteen ninety five. They've had a record of 177 wins and 225 losses. So at some point, this franchise really needs to focus on winning. And it seemed like that they were in that point when Tom Coughlin was the vice president and when we saw them get to the AFC championship against the Patriots and come that close, that close to being able to play in a Super Bowl. And then right after that, Blake Bortles' career pretty much ended. He just became a a career backup. And then they traded away Jalen Ramsey. Then then they just they just gutted pretty much the entire team. And we I mean we even saw the Jaguars this past season just trade Larry Fournette because he wasn't playing up to their standard in training camp. And now we're seeing him run like a freaking pro bowler for the Buccaneers. So I think that they just need a whole overhaul tear down up and down in the front office because these these people just don't know how to make decisions i mean when you just look at it based on what they the signings that they've been able to do over these last few years i mean nick Foles, what was that and what he played two games and then they trade him the next season i mean that right there is just bad decision making that right there is just not sticking to your guns and it just shows that they don't have a very good and confident front office into what the Jaguars are doing in this moment in time. And so I really think that they need to take a long, deep look at what is going to happen over this next season. But, I mean, the Jaguars went out and they beat the Colts. I mean, that was very surprising. That must have been that must have made the front office very happy. And also probably made them very surprised just because everybody has the Jaguars having the most amount of losses in this season. And a lot of people even predicted that they could potentially uh, go 0-16. So the last topic that I want to talk about in this NFL Week 2 is Jared Goff. Boy, did he show up. This Rams team has really been surprising me because, I mean, we've seen them spend all this money and from what it looked like last year it didn't really pan out because they they traded all these first round picks spent all this money for Jalen Ramsey you know they signed an extension to Jared Goff as well 
And then we just saw them sign an extension to Jalen Ramsey uh, as well. But when you really look at what the Rams did in the offseason, they traded Brandon Cooks, and they didn't really do anything to reinforce that empty spot in that top wide receiver option. But it looks like Robert Woods is now that top wide receiver, and they, also they do have Cooper Cup as well. But Robert Woods didn't seem to have really taken the motivation that he got from that big extension and really put it on the field because he was only able to get two receptions, and he did get targeted six times, but he was only able to get two receptions with 14 yards, which was honestly very disappointing. And who knows if it was just a matchup or if it was just the balls that Goff is throwing, but it's definitely not something that you want to see from a player that you just gave a massive contract to. But now let's get on to Jared Goff. He's a guy who, you know, looked iffy last week. But when you just really compare it to what he what he looked like last season, everybody was just beating down on Jared Goff. And it just really seems like Jared Goff just cannot win. You know, that, that f- number one draft pick, Stamp is always just going to be on him. Nobody is going to look at Jared Goff any differently other than that he was a former number one pick. And why isn't he living up to the expectations of a number one pick? I mean, we even saw it last season when the Rams did not make the playoffs. I think it was also more of just what they were able to do the season before when they made it to the Super Bowl. And obviously just, just a disappointing season. after. I mean, when you don't make the playoffs after you make it to the Super Bowl, I mean, that's super disappointing. And there's something definitely wrong uh, with the performance of not only the players, but ju- just like the franchise in general, coaching staff as well. But now when people are looking at Jared Goff, when you see a number like the Rams putting up 37 points, I, I, I never imagined that. I never I didn't think that that was going to happen. I honestly predicted that that the Rams were going to beat the Eagles just mainly because of how dangerous the Rams' front four in the defensive line is and how bad the Eagles did in blocking pass rush the week before against the Redskins. I mean, they, they let up eight sacks. So that just had in my head, well, the Rams are probably going to do the same. I was wrong. <laughs> you know, the Rams got zero sacks against Jared Goff. So that just, or, uh, excuse me, against Carson Wentz. So that wasn't the issue. But we saw Carson Wentz was just not able to efficiently throw the football down the field. And that is the, one of the biggest reasons why he was only able to complete 26 of his passes on his 43 attempts. And when, you throw, when you're throwing 43 attempts, you should be having more than 300 yards or you're just not throwing the ball either very far down the field or just being able to find a way to continue your drives because he was only able to get 242 yards, which kind of means that he was just getting those short passes here and there. He didn't really have a lot of a lot of long passes. And then we also just saw as well that Carson Wentz threw two interceptions. So this is getting a lot of people in Philadelphia very nervous on what this Eagles season is really going to look like. Because now the Eagles are 0-2, and it's not really looking too bright. And especially when you lose your first game against a team like the Washington football team. And now I just remember, now I just think about it. I called them the Redskins earlier. But the Washington football team, when you lose to the Washington football team, it's 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 something to kind of be a warning sign. But I mean, obviously, since it was week one, all Eagles fans and everybody in the Eagles organization had in their head, well, you know, we can bounce back. Everything's fine. I mean, even now that they're 0-2, 
they could 100% bounce back. But I'm just not seeing it right now. I mean, I mean, Carson Wentz just is not on his game, and neither is the defense. I mean, you can see it right here. The defense let up 37 points. Something's definitely not going right on that end either. So getting back on what I was saying about Jared Goff, very good game through, through the ball, very efficiently. 20 for 27, 267 yards with three touchdowns. And it's something where I'm very confident on how Jared Goff is going to be able, be able to perform throughout the rest of this season. I mean, I think this is a great representation that he is improving from last season. And it, it, it just comes right down to the weapons that he has and the defense he is going against. I, I mean, obviously that's with any team, but I think that Jared Goff has a big issue uh, with just his mental game. And it really seems like he gets very tense and puts a lot of pressure on himself in the back of that pocket. And that could be one of the biggest reasons why he didn't really perform that well last season, just because he had all that pressure from everybody in the organization, from all the fans, everybody in the NFL, that he had to get back to that Super Bowl, that he had to be that guy that he was last year. And since he wasn't, you know, his confidence might have dipped a little bit. And we are back on Iggy's Sports Talk. I hope everybody's been enjoying the show so far and has been enjoying being updated on everything that has been going on so far in this past week in sports. You are listening to 91.7 WPCR Plymouth. I'm just going to get some advertisements out of the way real fast. So, downtown pizza. Hungry and don't want to deal with the hassle of cooking? Don't want to leave the comfort of your own home? Bogged down with schoolwork? Want something warm, filling, and very delicious, but don't want to break the bank? Well, Mama Mia, we have some good news for you. Downtown Pizza is dedicated to making quality pizza, sub salads, and other favorite Italian dishes using only the finest ingredients while still bringing you the lowest prices. Now that's a more. <laughs> we employ only the best food employees, and our pizza is so beautiful, Michelangelo would have sobbed at the sight of it. They are open 11 to 11 every day of the week, and we are always happy to deliver right to your door. We are located at 89 Main Street, right in the heart of downtown Plymouth. So next time you are feeling, next time you are feeling hungry, give Downtown Pizza a call at 603-536-3524, or just come in and and we'll see you soon. So next one is a campus quickie. And we are going to be looking at, let me just look real quick, AIDS. In the age of AIDS, drinking can make sex dangerous. You have to make sure you always are in control. Respect yourself. Protect yourself. Learn more. Call the CDC National Hotline at uh, 1-800-342-AIDS. So, now that we got those out of the way, let's get back to talking to sports. Talking about sports, excuse me. So, we are now going to be focusing on the MLB playoffs and specifically talking about the MLB expanded playoffs. So, how the playoffs have usually been is there's 10 teams and now they're making it 16 just due to the 16 60 game season and also to make it a little bit more competitive. So, it's been very interesting to see 
the the competitiveness so far in the MLB 2020 season, especially to look at some of the teams that most people expected to have losing records now are contending for playoff spots. We're seeing teams like the Miami Marlins really surprising a lot of people and potentially could clinch a playoff spot within the next few days. But something that's a little bit different from compared to most seasons in these playoffs is not only that there's now 16 teams, but there's also eight wildcard series to start. So most of the time, there's one wildcard game, winner goes to the next round, loser goes home. And so now there's going to be eight of those. And it'll be really interesting to see how those really pan out and also how these expanded playoffs uh, really make the playoffs a little bit more exciting, competitive, and a lot more fun to watch because that's definitely something that we know baseball is really trying to focus on is making the game a little bit more exciting to watch, getting higher ratings, and getting a little bit more excitement behind the sport. And it's going to be kind of tough for these games to really be as exciting as most playoff games usually are because there's no home field advantage. And also there's no fans in the stands. So we've seen this in the NBA and in most sports, it's just a huge part of the playoffs is the home field advantage and the whole atmosphere that a home team is able to have when their fans are cheering behind them and you can just feel the energy within the stadium or in the arena. And a lot of times, this feeling, this adrenaline, this motivation is one of the biggest reasons why home teams most of the time are able to win these critical games because they have the confidence due to the motivation that the fans in the stadium are giving them. But now since we are in the time of COVID, and the MLB wants to do everything possible to get these playoff games in without interfering with what has been going on with their COVID restrictions, is they decided to take a a page out of the NBA's book, and they're making a playoff bubble. So games will be played in California and in Texas. So this is how it's going to be played out. Is The American League Divisional Series will be played in Los Angeles and Peco Park. The championship series will be played at Peckle Park. And then the National League series, for the division series, it will be played at Globe Life Stadium, which is in Arlington, and also Minute Maid Park. And then for the National League series, it's Globe Life Field. And then the World Series is Globe Life Field. For So for any of you who don't know what Globe Life Field is, it's the brand new stadium for the Texas Rangers. So this is going to be a great way for the Texas Rangers to fully unveil their stadium to the whole world because if you have me myself have not tuned into a texas rangers game so if you have not turned in the, into tuned into a rangers game excuse me then you probably haven't seen the new stadium and it's going to be a real great way like i said for them not to not only market that space uh but to be able to get a lot of exposure especially for next season to gain excitement for fans so one of the biggest reasons on why most of the NL, uh, you know, you know, the organizations of NL teams are being uh, of. Let me say that. Let me say that in a different way. So, we're seeing the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres stadiums be played by AL teams, and a lot of people are probably kind of confused on. 
So why isn't a National League team going to be playing in National League ballpark? And one of the biggest reasons of what the MLB really tried to focus on was they wanted to try their best to not give any team a home field advantage. So just because they were playing in Texas and they were playing in California doesn't mean that those California and Texas teams get the advantage of being home field compared to everybody else who like a team like Boston coming from Boston having to play in Texas. It just it, it just makes everything so much more fair. And so most of the times during these playoffs, these teams get off days in between each game or in between each traveling day. And now, just so the MLB playoffs are going to be able to stop right when it hits November and doesn't go any farther into November... There will be no off days in the NBA po- in the MLB postseason. Excuse me. And so, the divisional series and the championship series will be played over five to seven straight days. And so, this is really just going to make it even more competitive and interesting in terms of just who will be pitching for each of these teams. And so, most of the time, like I said, teams get off days, which really helps them in terms of going to every fifth starter. So most of the time, they're usually able to operate their rotation very regularly. But now, with no off days, teams will have to usually use their relievers most of the time in place of their starters. So a lot of teams are going to have to implement the opener approach like we've seen some teams do in this 60-game season to be able to utilize a lot of their pitchers and relievers. So... Then we're not seeing all these pitchers getting overworked, you know, and their efficiency really dropping just because they're pitching too much. And so it was very interesting to see sort of a te- what a team like the Washington Nationals did last last offseason when they mainly relied on their prime on their primary aces in Strasburg, Scherzer, and Corbin. So now that isn't going to work for teams. And most of the time, we usually saw teams you know, using their starters, but a mix of relievers as well. But when you look at what the Nationals did last season, those three starters accounted for 60% of their postseason innings, which was mind-boggling to me. And they were still able to be as efficient as they were, and the Nationals were still able to hoist that trophy at the end of the season. But now... Especially in the middle rounds, teams that are bullpen heavy or that are ace heavy, that just isn't going to work out in these in this postseason. And when you just really look at a team like the Los Angeles Dodgers, who's the only team with five starters that have at least a a one hundred and ten plus ERA, and then they also have seven relievers that have at least a one twenty ERA plus. And so the Dodgers are the most set up team in the MLB right now to win the World Series. And I bet you if you ask most people, they would say that the Dodgers would win the MLB World Series. So it's really going to be interesting how this expanded playoffs really does change the whole landscape of what of what this MLB postseason is going to be and mainly just the outcome. Because we could see a team that nobody expected make it very close to the World Series or even in the World Series. But it's 2020. 
So you never know exactly what is going to happen. And it really just seems like all these changes are just flooding in into this year. And as sports fans and just humans in general, we just have to go with the flow. So during these last 10 minutes of the show, I wanted to go over and look at what does week three look like for the NFL and really just dive into some critical games that could be very interesting to watch over next week and could really affect just the whole standings in the NFL in general. So one game that I really wanted to focus on first that could be very interesting in just the outcome of it is the Cowboys and the Seahawks. So we saw a team like the Seahawks, and I talked about them a little bit at the start of the show. They really showed up. And Russell Wilson is somebody who is playing like an MVP caliber season right now. I mean, when we saw what he was able to do this last week, 21 for 28. I mean, when you're that efficient throwing the football, it's going to be real hard for your teams to not win games. But when you look at as well how the Cowboys were able to fully come back in that game and really be able to, you know, make the Falcons embarrass themselves. I mean, it started off obviously with Dak Prescott just getting down the field and being able to get those touchdowns and points to be able to get them at least close. But the Falcons just ultimately lost that game with the onside kick. But it's going to be interesting to see how efficient Dak Prescott is under center against this Seahawks defense. I mean, they didn't look great against the Patriots, but they're definitely a defense that is in the middle of the pack and one that you can't ignore. So the Cowboys and Seahawks is definitely a game that I'm looking forward to watching. And even though the Seahawks are going into this game 2-0 and the Cowboys are going into this game 1-1, the Seahawks still have a line of negative 4.5, and they're they have the advantage in this game, just according to Las Vegas. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that one pans out. But then another one as well, which is Monday Night Football, is the Chiefs and Ravens. So I think that this is going to be the most competitive game out of any of the games, uh, at least in Week 3. But when you look at how the Chiefs really started off Week 2, you know, I, th- I think that they really need to avoid those starts. I mean, obviously it worked in the end and the chiefs were able to force an, a, uh, an overtime, but at the same time, that isn't going to be able to happen all the time. You know, even though Patrick Mahomes, most of the time, when you give him one to two minutes, he's able to get down the field within like 30 seconds to score a touchdown. That isn't going to happen all the time, especially when you're facing a defense like the, like the Ravens. And when you're as consistent and as effective as Lamar Jackson has been so far this season, I think that is really going to be a big hurdle for the Chiefs defense to be able to overcome because the Chiefs defense really did not look that great last week. I mean, you can solely just base it off of what a rookie quarterback was able to do in his debut against the defending Super Bowl champions. I mean, they let up 300 passing yards to a kid that found out just a few hours before that game that he was going to be starting. So I'm not saying that it's going to be a blowout, but at the same time, I mean, how can how can you even say that a team is going to be out 
or blow out a team like the Chiefs. But at the same time, I just really think that Lamar is, Lamar is going to ball on this Chiefs defense and really just show a lot of their weaknesses just solely in that one game. So next, I want to look at another game as well that could be very competitive and very interesting is the Patriots and Raiders. So the Raiders looked real good last night against the against the Saints, and they really surprised a lot of people. One guy that looked uh, much better than I really expected him to was Derek Carr. He looked very comfortable in the pocket. Most of his passes were accurate. Some of them were a little bit erratic, but at the same time, he really looked good compared to how he has in these past few seasons. But looking on the other side of the football as well under center, the Patriots. Wow. Cam Newton, like I said at the start of, the, at the start of this show, really balled out. And we could potentially see him have another 300-yard season or 300-yard game against this Raiders defense. Even though they showed up and looked very good against the Saints, I still think Cam Newton is going to be able to find a way to uh, find those holes in that defense and overcome uh, what, the, what the Raiders bring to him. But when you just look at this line as well, the Patriots are slated to win uh, by by they, they have they have advantage of negative of excuse me minus six point five. So Vegas thinks that the Patriots are going to blow this game out or or at least win by obviously six touchdowns or more. But it's going to be really it's going to be really telling on how Cam Newton is going to be able to perform in this game on how he is on how he's going to be able to really come back after having a really good game this past season or this this past game. So this week two, this week three is really just going to show if these injuries are going to keep on piling up, how this past week really affected the competitiveness of the NFL in general. And I really think that it's really going to show how some of these backups are really going to be able to perform for the rest of the season for some of these guys that just went down and really uh, got their got their season ended. So it's very unfortunate for obviously those guys like I talked about at the start of the show who all got injured. But this week three of the NFL season is going to be very interesting and fun to watch. Same with the NBA Finals and the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. And then lastly, it's the final stretch of the MLB as well. So there's going to be a lot of teams clinching playoff bursts and really fighting to be able to get those 16 spots in the MLB playoffs. But I hope you guys had a lot of fun listening to Iggy Sports Talk Episode 2. So I really appreciate everybody tuning in. I hope everybody has a great rest of their week. And I will see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.